can fundraisers adjust and stay resilient during this era of the pandemic? Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the Fundraising School, and I'm joined today by Julie Tier, who's the Chief Development Officer for Boys and Girls Clubs of America. And we're so fortunate each time Julie joins us. She's been with us previously at our Leadership Roundtable, and now is with us on this podcast to tell the uh, remarkable story of what Boys and Girls Clubs are doing uh, to adjust their fundraising efforts uh, during the COVID crisis. Uh, and as a bit of background, uh, due to some new annual fund strategies, Boys and Girls Clubs of America moved up into the top 10 of the Philanthropy 400. Uh, and to put that into context, four of those top 10 are actually private wealth managers of donor advised funds. There are actually only six kind of pure nonprofits on that list. And one of them is Boys and Girls Clubs of America, thanks to Julie's leadership. So Julie, you had remarkable success increasing your annual fund. And then the pandemic hits. How have your strategies adjusted accordingly? Sure. Well, Bill, thank you for your partnership, and and thank you for having me uh, having me on uh, today. You know, I always say uh, fundraising and philanthropy is truly a team sport, and so uh, the success that our boys and girls clubs have had around the country is is it's really a, a team a team effort, and um, that's no different uh, as we really work uh, to raise the critical funds for our mission during during this pandemic and. You know, um, at the outset of COVID-19, um, what we did is we, we really, you know, took a moment to pause and look inward and remind ourselves why Boys and Girls Clubs exist to begin with and the essential role that our clubs play in each and every community. And to really make sure that as we went out to engage our board members, um, our key donors and stakeholders, as well as prospects, because that was really important that we didn't stop communicating with our donors and prospects, but that we really could bring to life the essential role our clubs were playing in every community, whether it was hundreds of our clubs that had remained open at the request of state and local governments to provide childcare services for essential workers, to thousands of our clubs continuing uh, to be that uh, place that a, a, a child and their family can rely on for a healthy meal or snack. So they, many of our clubs, um, you know, were set up as grab and go sites or delivered food to uh, families that, that they served, um, as well as thousands of our clubs now to this day, um, running some type of virtual programming to stay connected to our young people to help address the learning loss that unfortunately, um, you know, so many youth, particularly in lower income um, households and communities, um, you know, are subjected to during the summer. And so really helping our young people stay on track academically. Um, so really just honing why uh, clubs exist to begin with and, and what our mission is all about in a very authentic way and being able to really bring that to life for donors and stakeholders. And I think in many ways, even for um, donors that have been with us for a while, the COVID-19 pandemic, I think in many cases, really helped to deepen their understanding of the essentialness of Boys and Girls Clubs. You know, you always think about what would it be like without a Boys and Girls Club? And I think for many, they could start to paint that picture and it really helped to underscore um, that, that our clubs are mission critical in every community. Julie, it sounds like uh, on one hand, the case for Boys and Girls Clubs of America that was true on February 29th, before all this really started, is still true today, but how also have you adjusted your communication 
uh, to include what has happened since March 1st and helping donors understand how the clubs at the local level have adapted to the crisis. How has that become part of your case for support? Absolutely. So we have done a number of things, um, whether it's written communications on a weekly basis to board members and trustees to actually having um, in March and pretty much through April and May weekly uh, board meetings of our governing board and then our local clubs the same to really communicate um, how COVID was impacting our clubs and our national organization and how we were pivoting to respond to those needs. We also leverage technology, I think like everybody uh, is doing today to conduct webinars for our corporate partners and really engage some of our local club leaders in many different communities to come on and really bring to light um, the role that they were playing in so many um, of our communities as we've gone along. And for even our prospects, you know, I think that um, even with our fundraising team, right, a lot of people haven't had to fundraise in a pandemic before. And so being comfortable with communicating with donors and that, you know, underscoring that they want to hear from you. And even if it's not making that call tomorrow to make an ask, the importance of staying connected to them to help ensure that they understand the impact and what we were doing and how our young people were still, you know, being supported by our clubs during this time has also helped to ensure that when people or companies were ready to start thinking about making a gift or giving again or relooking at their philanthropic strategies, that we were top of mind and are top of mind. And we continue with that strategy today. So one step has been more frequent communication with your board members. How have you adjusted in the way you communicate with your donors? Your local clubs fundraise locally, but you're at the national office and you are fundraising nationally. You and your team there uh, at the headquarters are reaching out to people across the United States. How has your donor relations strategy changed uh, in response to the pandemic? Sure. So at the local level, and as you know, um, Bill, you know, we have a team at the national organization uh, that leads uh, a tremendous effort that, uh, you know, supports our local clubs and helps our local clubs build stronger fundraising capacity. So really helping our local clubs do the same thing hone their case for support, um, making sure that they're having regular and relevant communications with their donors and their stakeholders. Matching gifts, we've seen some of uh, matching gifts really take hold. So if that was a board member or that was a donor of a local club making a gift and being able to then set that out as a, as a match to inspire others um, has worked really, really well. Um, pivoting to, you know, so many in the spring and the summer, it's it's uh, event season, fundraising event season at the local level and nationally, which I'll talk about. And so really working with our clubs to pivot to virtual events and being able to, I think, in many ways, um, you know, many fundraisers um, would love to be able to stop some of their fundraising events and really focus on individual giving. And, you know, I think the pandemic presented an opportunity for our clubs to start to hone more of the individual giving skills and to be able to really make the case for mission support by, by communicating the impact of COVID and had tremendous success in retaining event donors for general mission um, support. And that's the same at uh, the national at the national level as we think about um, you know we would be right now in the throes of our gala season, which is all around our youth of the year uh, competition. So some of our best and brightest youth that compete in a year-round competition at every club level goes to the state level, the region, and then the national. 
And so we're having to pivot to virtual events uh, in the fall uh, as well. We also at the national organization, literally within a week, um, established a COVID-19 relief fund. We pivoted our fundraising strategies at the national organization immediately to first and foremost, raise as much money as we could to pass through to our local clubs who needed it most um, and raised just under $20 million in about four weeks time uh, to pass through to our local organizations to support their efforts. And there too, we saw many clubs um, be able to leverage those grants that came from the National COVID-19 Relief Fund to inspire others in their community uh, to support them as well. Julie, uh, last question I'd like to ask you is you give us this great practical advice that all fundraisers can apply uh, is uh, I know initially the strategy has been to build on the recent momentum and double the annual fund by 2025. That's the big, hairy, audacious goal, the BHAG that BGCA has in place. Uh, and in order to double the number of youth that you serve by the middle of this decade, have you had to adjust that goal or are you still keeping that goal in the forefront despite the pandemic? No, it's a great, uh, a great question and actually uh, something that we are in the midst of right now. We first tackled 2020 um, across not just fundraising, but you know, every aspect um, of, of what we do at the national organization and working with our local clubs to replan 2020 and to you know, pivot in many cases identify the things that we were going to stop doing um, or we were going to pivot uh, or we were going to put the pedal down on. And so we are actually right now in the process with our planning commission, which is our national leadership, as well as about 30 club CEOs across the country and another 30 local club board members. We're pretty much for the next six months, um, we'll be tackling just that, looking at our 2025 strategy and as best we can, given the uncertainty of the environment, um, looking at how that needs to change. Um, I can tell you that, you know, for the foreseeable future, um, virtual and how we virtually engage young people as clubs reopen, um, but with health guidelines only able to serve about a quarter of the kids in the facilities. And so there's going to be this in-person and virtual mix for the foreseeable future. And so really starting to reshape that, what that's gonna look like, the new club for a new day is, is what we're calling it. But I think there's one thing that will remain uh, constant, which is there's gonna be more kids that need a boys and girls club than ever before. And that's what our focus is, is to make sure that we have the ability to meet, meet that need, which we know is gonna be greater um, than it was pre-COVID. So many practical takeaways in our conversation today with Julie Tier, who leads fundraising for Boys and Girls Clubs of America. Again, if your case was strong on February 29th, your case is still strong today. And that case can be adjusted and added to by describing what you're doing to adjust uh, with your programming and with your fundraising due to the pandemic. Greater engagement with the board of directors, more information more often to our board and to our frontline fundraisers. Uh, continued conversations, different methods, but continued conversations with our donors, and then updating the vehicles. Julie mentioned with their annual fund and with their special events, the way that adjustments are being made, and then taking a look at short and long-term strategies all part of fundraising during the pandemic. And as we've said since day one of this uh, with the pandemic, the bad news is there is no textbook to follow. The great news is we get to write the next one and an abundance-minded fundraiser will see that as an opportunity amidst the challenges and yes, the difficulties and hardships 
of raising money amidst the COVID crisis. We're here for you for the fundraising school. We want to be your career-long colleague. And during the pandemic, we put this un under the umbrella of TFRS at your desk. We have these weekly free podcasts that are being tailored to fundraising during the COVID crisis. We have our Fridays with the Fundraising School, where once a month we get together online. We have to call them a webinar, but they're really not as much a presentation as they are a conversation where people are bringing their best practices, their stories of success, asking their questions, sharing their concerns all together in a fundraising community. And yes, we are still offering our courses primarily online, but hopefully uh, later in the summer and early in the fall back in person in Indianapolis as local, state, and our university policies allow. Uh, and of course, you can apply for a crisis response scholarship that can reduce the cost of those courses by as much as 50%. TFRS at your desk, the fundraising school, TFRS at your desk, all available online at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more up to date on this first day from the fundraising school. Mm -hmm.